Section 13 of the Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume 3, translated by Jonathan Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. The Story of Abu Hassan, or The Sleeper Awakened, Part 3. By the time the neighbours came in, Abu Hassan's rage began to abate. The first who entered the room got between him and his mother, and taking the switch out of his hand, said to him, "'What are you doing, Abu Hassan? Have you lost all fear of God and your reason? Did ever a son so well brought up as you dare to strike his mother? Are you not ashamed so to treat yours, who loves you so tenderly?' Abu Hassan, still full of fury, looked at him who spoke without returning an answer, and then, staring on all the rest of his neighbours who had followed, said, who is that Abu Hassan you speak of? Is it me you call by that name? This question disconcerted the neighbours. How, said he who spoke first, do not you know your mother, who brought you up, and with whom you have always lived? Be gone, you are impertinent vagabonds, replied Abu Hassan. I neither knew her nor you, and will not know her. I am not Abu Hassan. I am the commander of the faithful, and will make you feel it to your cost. At this speech the neighbours no longer doubted that he was mad, and to prevent his repeating his outrages, seized him, notwithstanding his resistance, and bound him hand and foot. But though apparently disabled from doing any mischief, they did not choose to leave him alone with his mother. Two of them ran for the keeper of the hospital for insane persons, who came presently with chains handcuffs, a bastinado, and many attendants. When they entered the room, Abu Hassan, who little expected such treatment, struggled to unloose himself. But after his keeper had given him two or three smart strokes upon the shoulders, he lay so quiet that the keeper and his people did what they pleased with him. As soon as they had bound and manacled him, they took him with them to the hospital. When he was got out of the house into the street, the people crowded round him. One buffeted him, another boxed him, and others called him fool and madman. To all this treatment he replied, There is no greatness and power but in God most high and almighty. I am treated as a fool, though I am in my right senses. I suffer all these injuries and indignities for the love of God. He was conducted to the hospital, where he was lodged in a grated cell. But before he was shut up, the keeper, who was hardened to such terrible execution, regaled him without pity with fifty strokes of the bastinado on his shoulders, which he repeated every day for three weeks, bidding him remember that he was not the commander of the faithful. "'I am not mad,' said Abu Hassan, "'but if I wanted your assistance, nothing would so effectually make me mad as your cruel treatment.' I want not your advice. Abu Hassan's mother went every day to visit her son, and could not forbear weeping at beholding him fall away, and sigh and complain at the hardships he endured. In short, his shoulders, back, and sides were so black and bruised that he could not turn himself. His mother would willingly have talked with him to comfort him, and to sound him whether he still retained the notion of being caliph. But whenever she opened her mouth, 
he stopped her with so much fury that she was forced to leave him and return home, inconsolable at his obstinacy. By degrees, however, those strong and lively ideas which Abu Hassan had entertained, of having been clothed in the caliph's habit, having exercised his authority, and been punctually obeyed and treated like the true caliph, the assurance of which had persuaded him that he was so, began to wear away. Sometimes he would say to himself, If I was the caliph and commander of the believers, how came I, when I awoke, to find myself at home, dressed in my own apparel? Why should I not have been attended by eunuchs and their chief, and a crowd of beautiful ladies? Why should the grand vizier, and all those emirs and governors of provinces, who prostrated themselves at my feet, forsake me? Undoubtedly, if I had any authority over them, they would have delivered me long ago out of the miserable condition I am in. Certainly I ought to look upon all as a dream. It is true, however, that I commanded the judge of the police to punish the imam and the four old men his companions. I ordered the grand vizier to carry my mother a thousand pieces of gold, and my commands were executed. All these points are obstacles to my believing it a dream, but there are so many things that I cannot comprehend, nor ever shall, that I will put my trust in God, who knows all things. Abu Hassan was taken up with these thoughts and reflections when his mother came to see him. She found him so much altered and emaciated that she shed a torrent of tears, in the midst of which she saluted him as she used to do, and he returned her salutation, which he had never done before since he had been in the hospital. This she looked upon to be a good sign. "'Well, my son,' said she, wiping her tears, "'how do you do, and how do you find yourself? Have you renounced all those whims and fancies which the devil had put into your head?' "'Indeed, mother,' replied Abu Hassan, very rationally and calmly, and in a tone expressive of his grief for the excesses he had been transported to against her. I acknowledge my error, and beg of you to forgive the execrable crime which I have been guilty of towards you, and which I detest. I ask pardon also of my neighbours whom I have abused. I have been deceived by a dream, but by so extraordinary a one, and so like the truth, that I venture to affirm any other person to whom such a thing might have happened, would have been guilty of as great or greater extravagances. And I am this instant so much perplexed about it, that while I am speaking I can hardly persuade myself but that what befell me was matter of fact, so like was it to what happens to people who are broad awake. But whatever it was, I do and shall always regard it as a dream and an illusion. I am convinced that I am not that shadow of a caliph and commander of the faithful, but Abu Hassan, your son, the son of a person whom I always honoured till that fateful day, the remembrance of which will cover me with confusion, and whom in future I shall honour and respect all my life as I ought. At this rational declaration, the tears of sorrow and affliction which the mother of Abu Hassan had so long shed were changed into those of joy. "'My son!' cried she, transported with pleasure. "'My satisfaction and comfort 
to hear you talk so reasonably is inexpressible and it gives me as much joy as if i had brought you into the world a second time but i must tell you my opinion of this adventure and observe one thing which you may not have noticed the stranger whom you brought home the evening before your illness to sup with you went away without shutting your chamber door after him as you desired which i believe gave the devil an opportunity to enter and throw you into the horrible illusion you have been in therefore my son you ought to return god thanks for your deliverance and beseech him to keep you from falling again into the snares of the evil spirit you have found out the source of our misfortunes answered abu hassan it was that very night i had the stream which turned my brain i bade the merchant expressly to shut the door after him and now i find he did not do it i am persuaded as well as you the devil finding it open came in and filled my head full of these fancies. The people of Mosul, from whence this merchant came, may not know how we at Baghdad are convinced from experience that the devil is the cause of troublesome dreams when we leave our chamber doors open. But since, mother, you see I am, by the grace of God, so well recovered, for God's sake get me out of this horrible place, which will infallibly shorten my days if I stay here any longer. The mother glad to hear her son was so well cured of his foolish imagination of being caliph went immediately to the keeper and assuring him that he was very sensible and well he came examined and released him in her presence when abu hassan came home he stayed within doors some days to recover his health by better living than he had found at the hospital but when he had recovered his strength and felt no longer the effect of the harsh treatment he had suffered in his confinement, he began to be weary of spending his evenings alone. He accordingly entered again upon the same plan as he had before pursued, which was to provide enough every day to regale a stranger at night. The day on which Abu Hassan renewed his custom of going about sunset to the end of Baghdad Bridge, to stop the first stranger there offered, and invite him to do him the honour of supping with him, happened to be the first day of the month, that which the caliph always set apart to go in disguise out of some one of the gates, to observe what was committed contrary to the good government of the city, as established and regulated at the beginning of his reign. Abu Hassan had not been long arrived at the bridge, when, looking about him, he perceived the Mosul merchant, followed by the same slave. Persuaded that all his misfortunes were owing to the merchant's having left his door open, he shuddered at the sight of him. "'God preserve me,' said he to himself. "'If I am not deceived, there is again the magician who enchanted me.' He trembled with agitation, and looked over the side railing into the river, that he might not see him till he was past. The caliph, who wished to renew the diversion he had received, had taken care to inform himself of all that had happened to abu hassan and enjoyed much pleasure at the relation given him especially at his being sent to a madhouse but as this monarch was both just and generous and had taken a great liking to abu hassan as capable of contributing further to his amusement and had doubted whether after renouncing his frenzied character of a caliph he would return to his usual manner of living with a view, therefore, to bring him to his palace, 
he disguised himself again like a merchant of Mosul, the better to execute his plan. He perceived Abu Hassan at the same time that he saw him, and presently guessed by his action that he was angry and wished to shun him. This made him walk close to the side railing, and when he came nigh him, he put his head over to look him in the face. "'Oh, brother Abu Hassan,' said he, "'is it you? I greet you. Give me leave to embrace you.' "'Not I,' replied Abu Hassan pettishly, without looking at the pretended Mosul merchant. "'I do not greet you. I will have neither your greeting nor your embraces. Go along.' "'What?' answered the caliph. "'Do you not know me?' Do you not remember the evening we spent together at your house this day month, where you did me the honour to treat me very generously? No, replied Abu Hassan in the same tone. I do not know you, nor what you talk about. Go, I say again, about your business. The caliph was not to be diverted from his purpose by this rude behaviour. He well knew the law Abu Hassan had imposed on himself, never to have commerce again with a stranger he had once entertained, but pretended to be ignorant of it. "'I cannot believe,' said he, "'but you must know me again. It is not possible that you should have forgotten me in so short a time. Certainly some misfortune has befallen you, which inspires you with this aversion for me. However, you ought to remember that I showed my gratitude by my good wishes, and that I offered you my interest.' which is not to be slighted, in an affair which you had much at heart. "'I do not know,' replied Abu Hassan, "'what your interest may be, and I have no desire to make use of it. But I am sensible the utmost of your good wishes ended in making me mad. In God's name, I say once more, go your way, and trouble me no more.' "'Ah, brother Abu Hassan,' replied the caliph, embracing him, I do not intend to part with you thus, since I have had the good fortune to meet with you a second time. You must exercise the same hospitality towards me again that you showed me a month ago, when I had the honour to drink with you. I have protested against this, said Abu Hassan, and have so much power over myself as to decline receiving a second time as my guest a man like you, who carries misfortunes with him. You know the proverb, Take up your drum and be gone. Make the application to yourself. How often must I repeat my refusal? God be with you. You have been the cause of my sufferings, and I will not trust myself with you again. My good friend Abu Hassan, said the caliph, embracing him, you treat me in a way I little expected. I beg of you not to speak to me thus harshly, but be persuaded of my friendship. Do me the favour to tell me what has happened to you, for I assure you I wished you well, and still do so, and would be glad of an opportunity to make you any amends for the trouble I have caused you, if it has been really my fault. Abu Hassan yielded to the solicitations of the caliph. Your incredulity and importunity, said he, have tired my patience and what I am going to relate will show you that I do not accuse you wrongfully. The caliph seated himself by Abu Hassan while he told him all that had happened to him, from his waking in the palace to his waking again in his own house, all which he described as a mere dream. 
and recounted all the circumstances which the caliph knew as well as himself, and which renewed his pleasure. He enlarged afterwards on the impression which the dream of being caliph and commander of the faithful had made upon him, which, he said, threw him into such extravagancies that his neighbours were obliged to carry him to a madhouse, where he was treated in a manner which he deemed most barbarous and inhuman. But, said he, what will surprise you, and what you little think of, is that it was altogether your fault that these things happened to me. For if you remember, I desired you to shut the door after you, which you neglected, and the devil, finding it open, entered, and put this dream into my head, which, though it was very agreeable, was the cause of the misfortune I complain of. You, therefore, for your negligence, are answerable for the horrid and detestable crime I have committed in lifting my hand against my mother, whom I might have killed, I blush for shame when I think of it, because she said I was her son, and would not acknowledge me for commander of the faithful, as I thought, and positively insisted on to her, that I was. You are the cause of the offence I have given my neighbours, when, running in at the cries of my poor mother, they surprised me in the horrid act of felling her at my feet, which would never have happened if you had taken care to shut my door when you went away, as I desired you. They would not have come into my house without my leave, and, what troubles me most of all, they would not have been witnesses of my folly. I should not have been obliged to strike them in my own defence, and they would not have bound and fettered me, to carry and shut me up in the hospital for madmen, where I assure you every day that I remained, confined in that hell, I received a score of strokes with a bastinado. Abu Hassan recounted his complaints with great warmth and vehemence to the caliph, who knew as well as himself what had passed, and was delighted to find that he had succeeded so well in his plan to throw him into the vagaries, from which he still was not entirely free. He could not help laughing at the simplicity wherewith he related them. Abu Hassan, who thought that his story should rather have moved compassion, and that every one ought to be as much concerned at it as himself, warmly resented the pretended Mosul merchant's laughter. What, said he, do you make a jest of me, and laugh in my face? Or do you believe I laugh at you when I speak seriously? If you want proof of what I advance, look yourself, and see whether or no I tell the truth. With that, stooping down and bearing his shoulders, he showed the caliph the scars and wheels which the bastinado had left. The caliph could not behold these marks of cruelty without horror. He pitied Abu Hassan, and felt sorry he had carried the jest so far. "'Come rise, dear brother,' said he to him eagerly and embracing Abu Hassan heartily in his arms, let me go to your house, and enjoy the happiness of being merry with you to-night, and to-morrow, if it please God, all things will go well. Abu Hassan, notwithstanding his resolution never to admit the same stranger a second time, could not resist the caresses of the caliph, whom he still took for a merchant of Mosul. I will consent, said he, if you will swear to shut my door after you, that the devil may not come in to distract my brain again. The caliph promised that he would, upon which they both arose, walked towards the city, 
and, followed by the caliph's slave, reached Abu Hassan's house by the time it was dark. The caliph, the more to blind Abu Hassan, said to him, Place confidence in me. I promise you, on my honour, I will not break my word. You need not hesitate to trust a person who wishes you all happiness and prosperity, of which confidence you will see the effects. I desire not that, said Abu Hassan, stopping him short. I yield to your importunity, but I dispense with your good wishes, and beg you in God's name to form none for me. All the mischief that has hitherto befallen me arose from those you expressed for me, and from your leaving the door open. Well, replied the caliph, still laughing at the misguided imagination of Abu Hassan, since you will have it so, I promise you I will form none. You give me pleasure by speaking so, said Abu Hassan. I desire no more. I shall be more than satisfied, provided you keep your word, and I shall forgive you all the rest. As soon as Abu Hassan entered his house, he called for his mother and for candles, desired his guest to sit down upon a sofa, and then placed himself by him. A little time after, supper was brought up, and they both began to eat without ceremony. When they had done, Abu Hassan's mother cleared the table, set on a small dessert of fruit, wine, and glasses by her son, then withdrew and appeared no more. Abu Hassan first filled out his own glass, and then the caliph's, and after they had drunk some time, and talked of indifferent matters, the caliph, perceiving that his host grew warm with liquor, began to talk of love, and asked him if he had ever felt that passion. "'Brother,' replied Abu Hassan, familiarly thinking his guest was his equal, "'I never looked upon love or marriage but as a slavery, to which I was always unwilling to submit, and must own to you that I never loved anything but good cheer and good wine. In short, to divert and entertain myself agreeably with my friends. Yet I do not tell you that I am indifferent to marriage or incapable of attachment. If I could meet with a woman of such beauty and sweetness of temper as her I saw in my dream that fatal night in which I first received you into my house, and you to my misfortune left my door open, who would pass the whole night with me drinking, singing, and playing on some instrument, and in agreeable conversation, and who would study to please and divert me. I believe, on the contrary, I should change all my indifference into a perfect attachment to such a person, and, I think, should live very happily with her. But where is such a woman to be found, except in the caliph's palace, or in those of the grand vizier, or some great lords of the court, who want not money to provide them? I choose, therefore, to stick to my bottle, which is a much cheaper pleasure, and which I can enjoy as well as the greatest. Saying these words, he filled out his own and the caliph's glass, and said, Come, take your glass, and let us pursue this charming pleasure. When they had drunk off their wine, It is a great pity, said the caliph, that so gallant a man as you, who owns himself not insensible of love, should lead so solitary a life. I prefer the easy, quiet life I live, replied Abu Hassan, before the company of a wife whose beauty might not please me, 
and who besides might create me a great deal of trouble by her imperfections and ill-humour. The conversation lasted a long time, and the caliph, seeing Abu Hassan had drunk to the pitch he desired, said, "'Let me alone. Since you have the same good taste as every other honest man, I warrant you I will find you a wife that shall please you.' Then, taking Abu Hassan's glass, and putting a pinch of the same powder into it, filled him up a bumper, and presenting it to him, said, "'Come, let us drink beforehand the fair lady's health, who is to make you happy.' I am sure you will like her. Abu Hassan took the glass laughing, and shaking his head said, Be it so. Since you desire it, I cannot be guilty of so great a piece of incivility, nor disoblige a guest of so much merit in such a trifling matter. I will drink the health of the lady you promise me, though I am very well contented as I am, and do not rely on your keeping your word. No sooner had Abu Hassan drunk off his bumper, than he was seized with as deep a sleep as before, and the caliph ordered the same slave to take him and carry him to the palace. The slave obeyed, and the caliph, who did not intend to send back Abu Hassan as before, shut the door after him, as he had promised, and followed. End of section 13